Yeah, and I think because all the all the artist-run centers that I know of are very active, very busy ma making culture, you know. Whereas really, we just want to be busy making art <laughs> and like have it be a safe and uh, unrelenting hive, you know, just a production. For this episode of Art Talks Montreal, I spoke with Vanessa Yano about the long-haul studio spaces that she runs with her partner, John Tinholt. In the last few episodes, artists have mentioned the importance of having a dedicated space for making work. I wanted to learn more about what goes into running and maintaining artist studios. Founded in 2001, the long haul is tied to a storage facility on Beaumont Avenue in Park Extension. The organization is overseen by board of directors, and Vanessa and John run the day-to-day -day operations while taking care of their family and their own individual arts practices. Vanessa is a glass worker, a jeweler, and a textile artist, and John is a photographer and woodworker. Though John couldn't be with us, I met up with Vanessa to hear more about her work as an administrator and the history of the long haul. Hi, Vanessa. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, you and John, John Tinholt, Tinholt yeah. yeah, you run the long haul together. Um, maybe you could tell me a bit about, well, what is the long haul? The long haul is a nonprofit organization since 2008. Mm -hmm. um, we are a collective of artists um, who provide um, affordable studios to visual artists in Montreal and we're located in Park Extension. So our main mandate is to provide workspaces for practicing artists. And what circumstances led to the opening of the Long Hall as spaces for artists? Right. Um, well, originally John and I were looking for studios to, a, a space for us to live and work that was not a six and a half, you know, that we wanted to live in a commercial space and work out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so we basically were biking around the city and looking beyond the obvious neighborhoods, uh, Plateau, Mile End. At the time, a lot of uh, spaces were, commercial spaces were being transformed into condominiums. And so we were looking further afield and uh, we were up in Park Extension and uh, we saw this building on 450, 454 Beaumont um, that didn't have an alloué sign, but that appeared quite obviously to be vacant on the second floor. And it had this really unusual looking layout from the exterior. We could see two windows, one window leading through and to another window. And so we were like, let's check this space out. Mm -hmm. And uh, we eventually got an appointment to see it and uh, found out that there was actually a whole second floor that was vacant and the landlord was interested in us renting but he didn't want us to rent just one portion of it um, that which is what we had originally were just selfishly looking for our own spaces to work out of um, but that wasn't a possibility so he offered us all or nothing what uh, was all 
it was at the time we had I think it was four thousand square feet six four or five thousand square feet um now we have eight thousand square feet but that's like the next chapter um so it was way more than we could have ourselves two individuals Uh, so within like a week we got the word out and trying to decide whether we should take it on and maybe other artists would want to kind of join in and uh, there was such an interest it was out of control we literally had filled the spaces without even the artists seeing them within two days kind of was there a demand in the community or the demand was so high at the time um why It must have just been really at a crucial moment when gentrification was, like, um, in true effect. This was around 2001? Yeah, it was 2001. And people's studios tended to be on the plateau in the old port? A lot of plateau, um, some mile end, um, a lot of just, like, newly landed migrants you could say you know Mm. like Montreal the music scene was just in its sort of like early heyday and um, there was just this huge influx of of artists um, in the city and not a lot of spaces that were affordable um, or reliable for long-term usage Um, plateau was really like a a lot of people were getting kicked I got kicked out of my studio on town Ontario um, there was just like yeah uh, uh, a lack of space so um, the interest was really really high and uh, so it turned into a project without us even planning it or yeah. really wanting to we were just like this is what we must do <laughs> like it is now our responsibility to provide studios for ourselves and the greater community um, <laughs> It's the kind of thing that you started and then the ball kept rolling and yeah, rolling. it just sort of happened. Um, you know, no business plan, no budget, no, you know, years in the planning. It just we kind of just been flying by the seat of our pants. Well, what kind of work goes into running a space like this? What do you have to do? Right. Um, well, on like a day-to-day, we have to be, I work full-time out of my studio, mm-hmm. so I'm a full-time professional artist, which is very helpful because I'm basically here to accommodate um, lost keys uh, <laughs> or locked outside of the door or, um, you know, basic needs of the everyday working questions questions yeah toilets broken or how do I use a freight elevator or this or that um and then on a monthly basis basically I'm just sort of I'm a uh, fake landlord I mean we don't own the building but so I collect rents and yeah. make sure that everybody pays on time and gather the rents and put it all together and pay uh, the bills pay the bills pay the landlord yeah. um, get people in get people out that's been the major major uh, task or um, job description I would say my first job description is to rent the studio spaces because yeah. there's a lot of people who come and go so posting ads for studios for rent, scheduling appointments, meeting potential artists, vetting them, 
speaking with the sharers that they might be sharing with, finding good compatible mates if they want to share with someone else. Yeah. So, um, and I'm luckily I'm a real people person. So <laughs> I am like, when I'm in it, I'm excited to meet new artists yeah. and, and, and find out what they do and be excited to get new people on board and all that. But I do have like my own business and my visual art practice and a kid so it is a how lot do of you work. how do you balance it um, how, how much of your time goes into the administration yeah. and how much into your own work? I have not I never calculated my hours until this summer <laughs> oh, no. it's like 14 years later oh, 13 no. years later I was like, how much time do I, you know, because I also do stuff like uh, I write letters of recommendation for artists who want to do their MFA or apply for residencies that need. So I do, that's fun stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. too. Um, But there's lots of little tasks that build up that I don't really, never really account for, you know. Because you're not getting paid. No, I'm not getting paid. I get a student, a great rebate on my studio essentially my studio is free for yeah. the work that I do for uh, for the long haul mm-hmm. and then there's a board of directors um, we're five of us and we make the larger decisions about policy and uh, rent increases and mm-hmm. how we um, maintain uh, the organization we, we speak on behalf of the the group we are the Could, yeah you're actually a non-profit and not an artist-run center, which I suppose you could be. What made you choose that? Yeah. So you um, have a board of directors, and you kind of function to help artists. Yeah. To be honest, I'm not sure what an artist-run center is. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. I feel like it has the same structural organization as what you're saying. Because we became nonprofit just so we could get subsidized by the city they, and get grants. Okay, they get subsidized by well. the city, but I think within specific grant schemes, or maybe they have right. to um, fit into certain boxes and squares. Right, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, maybe I don't know the difference. I think the main thing is that we didn't, I think that an artist run center, the idea of becoming an artist run center requires programming. Yeah. And we've never been, kind. we had never kind of had our shit together enough to have, like, monthly programming. Because there's a gallery. Because there's a gallery yeah. space um, that we used to live in. Um, mm-hmm. And a, a space that's sort of more of like a laboratory or like a project space. Um, but there's never been, it was, like I said, we never set out to, like, do this project. So we're just kind of, like did it in the most minimal way so that everyone was happy and that we could just keep surviving Mm -hmm. Um, we never did it with a like a a grand scheme and a grand vision of um and and it was always really just john and my project always we always hoped that maybe someone or would come in and be like let's make this more let's take it to the next level you know um and have like monthly events and this and whatever even more work so not having that status allowed you to to be low-key yeah to not be constrained by shoulds of what you had to be doing that's it by a certain schedule yeah, and I think because all the all the artist run centers that I know of are very active, very busy, mm-hmm. ma- making culture. You know, 
Whereas really, we just want to be busy making art <laughs> and like have it be a safe and uh, unrelenting hive, you know, yeah. just a production. Well, could you tell me about some of maybe the, the arts community or the people that are in this space, how they interact with each other, how it can maybe become a bit of a, yeah, no, a community. Yeah. Um, yeah, it depends. We've been around for so long. I think part of our success as a space is that we, we don't set out to do more than we can handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, But as a result, we also don't necessarily come together as a group formally more than, let's say, a four or five times a year. We have potlucks and gatherings. We have group show together, and we have an open studio weekend as well. Um, other than that, we feel are like the seeds, those four to six times a year are seeds that we sow to potentially have other relationships grow. People can um, collect. Yeah, like we kind of like provide a small framework for potential collaborations mm-hmm. or other, you know, relationships to develop. And over the years, there have been some, there have been collaborations amongst, uh, you know, select few artists. Who or, met here. Who met here, yeah. yeah. Um, there have been, um, you know, strong friendships that have developed. Um, but there is, there's so many of us and there are there is so much coming and going that, they're really like they're small little pockets of of things that are happening yeah. within the group but as a whole entire like as a community of 32 let's say that we are now um it just we're it's not there you know no. it's really it's sort of subdivisions are there any are there any artists who stand out for you over the last 14 years who who you've seen sort of come in and um, blossom through the opportunity of having a space like this to work in. Yeah, there have been so many. Um, you can speak about a few yeah. or one or two examples that stick out. Well, it's been so. Uh, I mean, I'll be biased because they've ended up becoming good friends or whatever. But uh, having Jamie Q, um, she came in here after doing her degree um, somewhere out west came to Montreal, got a studio, worked super hard in the space, made work, um, got worked, started working with John and Quarterly, made more work, veered into sort of that realm of graphic novel kind of work, um, applied for MFA in London, got in, now she's living in London, making, you know, Commissions for museums, um, public art, Mm -hmm. teaching. Like, she's just, yeah, full-time artist. She did it. Yeah, yeah, it's just really exciting. Um, Additionally, uh, Madeline Mayo, who's now doing her MFA, I see her, I mean, she's going to totally go places. And she's just been prolific, um, in working uh, in studio. It's really like the artists that just end up spending half their lives here end up blossoming and, you know, it, it just goes to show like the 10,000 hour theory. Yeah, it's is, something. It's something, mm-hmm. you know, and the, those that use their space on... They just need a space. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
all those the the people that I mentioned have also been like really great contributors to the group. Of, you know, all, we're always around to mm-hmm. like. So there's something more than just having the space. It's being amongst each other around other people who are producing and yeah. immersed in the practice of creativity. If That's that. it. I mean, even if some people come into the studio and all the time and they're not necessarily uh, extroverts, they just um, they feel good about coming all the time because they know, even just knowing that someone's next door yeah. making work yeah. is validating rather than being stuck in your own space wondering why am I making art again yeah. like it's such a hard practice I understand society is so not built to support making art for art's sake you know um, and having being a collective like this individuals making work their own work side by sides or in separate spaces just gives uh, that strength and it also gives us strength in terms of uh, leverage with the landlord and with the, the city if ever there's any issues well yeah you you told me before maybe before this interview but you were almost closed down in 2008 yeah what happened there what was going on you'd had this space for six seven years already and things were going okay yeah things were going well and um all of a sudden, the landlord had a new vision for the building, and he decided to um, do a $2 million renovation job and basically rebuilding onto the existing building. We should say that you own, or your landlord owns this space, and half of it is storage. That's right. right. Okay. Currently, more than half. Currently, like uh, 80% of the building is occupied by a mini storage facility, mm-hmm. and then 20% max uh, is us and there's a few other random like creative projects in the building that come and go so so he wanted to put a whole bunch of money into what he wanted to invest he it used to be a shoulder fat shoulder pad factory Mm -hmm. so he wanted to convert it into a mini storage business and he didn't see the use of having us here the use yeah uh, (laughs) there was no monetary gain for him to keep us here because he can rent storage per square foot I think double he can charge for mini storage than he does for occupied human um, the human factor yeah yeah Um, so they really didn't see us in their picture in the vision for their their new identity and when we found that out, um, we were super scared and didn't know what to do. And so we spread the news via our um, friend network and started a petition and uh, got, I think, about a thousand signatures. And we got the um, appui, the support, support. from um, our local city councillor, and we got, since we had a lot of connections with media at the time when there was the mirror and the hour, and friends writing for those local papers, we had uh, articles written, and uh, once we gathered all of our, you know, ammunition and proof that, you know, it was going to affect not just the 25 artists that occupied the space, but like thousands of people who consumed culture that we created yeah um they uh they relinquished they and decided to include us in the project um include you in the project of converting the, this space converting the building okay. yeah because they ended up um removing 
a third of the studios that we had from 2001 to 2007. And instead of just removing them entirely, they um, and they rebuilt an extension of the hallway. So we went from being a long hall to like a super long hall, <laughs> like the longest hall. Um, and so now we have double the amount of studios that we had in 2007 yeah. um, and double the amount of artists. Um, granted, the rent skyrocketed, but... Uh, that's when we became nonprofit organization, and that's when we started getting parts of our rent subsidized through okay. the city. What kind of changes have you seen? You were talking about gentrification when this project started in 2001, but now you've been here 14 years, and so you've seen your rents go up. Probably your neighbors change, the, the kind of people, or the kind of the artists that have come through your studio. So what would you say yeah, has changed in these past years? Yeah, it's been really, I mean, part of why we called ourselves the long haul with a UL mm-hmm. was because everyone was always sort of like, where are you? Over the tracks? Like two tracks? The second go. set of tracks. Yeah, that's really sec- far. I remember yeah. that. At the time, it was yeah. really far. You know? <laughs> Even like, Van Horn, that was kind of... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so coming up to Park Extension in like the early 2000s was kind of a long haul. And uh, so we were, and when, you know, I live in the neighborhood, I lived in the neighborhood since then as well, walking around the neighborhood as a, you know, young white female, I was a minority. Like, mm-hmm. it's a totally, like, new immigrant community. And still? still it still is, mm-hmm. but there's been a huge influx in the last six years. Mm-hmm. I'd say, like, I'd look out my out my studio window and never recognize anyone. In the last five years, I, I look out my window and it's like, I recognize people, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. what? Yeah. Um, or I see people who look l- like me, you know? Like, you know, mm-hmm. sort of whatever, bohemian the Different demographic artists. makeup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the artist type has moved into this neighborhood in a really big way. Because it's the next frontier from my land, and rent is cheap, and uh, so it's happening much slower in Park Extension because there is like a really, really strong Bangladeshi, Sri Lankan, Greek, um, immigrant population Who've here. Who've been here for a very long time. Long time, yeah, and um, so yeah, we've definitely seen it. Um, and the outside, the inside walls are not like in terms of like long haul artists. Um, that has not changed too much, I would say, because we always tapped into our sort of net social network of people, mm-hmm. um, and we've always had a real variety of age group and ethnicity mm-hmm. and um, background in terms of art practice, um, which has been great, but also could it also hasn't necessarily brought us together as a group because there's such a diverse amount of people. I understand what you mean. Yeah, that uh, not everyone clicks, you know. Um, So, yeah, our demographic within the walls of the long haul didn't really change since Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 2008. We we spoke before this interview a little bit, and you talked about... um, how how this was such a great place to have to work and that it allowed you to launch your career, being able to sort of not pay while you were working for free to keep the space running. Yeah. Um, 
But also from talking to you, it seems as though the administrative work is getting bigger and bigger and bigger to keep this space running for the both of you. Yes. Um, I'm wondering what the advantages and drawbacks have been maybe of doing that kind of administrative work and and maybe how it's influenced your art practice. Because, yeah. yeah, you're you're an artist. I mean, I guess, yeah, I st- we started this project when I was in my late 20s, when I was you know, just waitressing part-time and making art part, like, more than part-time. And um, starting the long haul, uh, we put in, like, a good five, six months of our, of, like, heavy labor, a year total, but it fizzled out a bit, but really intense work for about Saving money and reparations to the place before Yeah, like, we invested, you know, 14, like I said, I think 14,000 bucks into renovating the space. Mm -hmm. And then first two years... Um, lived for free to pay ourselves back and then we started paying rent slowly but surely increasing our our studio rents um, every year Um, but those two years of living for free to pay ourselves back for the investment was a really amazing time for me to actually be full-time in studio um, and develop my own body of work which then I applied for grants for for which I was awarded grants Mm -hmm. and developed a line of jewelry which ended up you know still is surviving today like Mm -hmm. that was the administration of the and the, the the gestion of this place was it felt like it just all jived it all was just a part of who I was at that time um, and then slowly as my business grew larger and demands became greater I had less time to make my artwork um, and long haul obligations were in competition with art making uh, uh, there was no time yeah so like as you get older you somehow yeah you hone in on what generates more revenue but you have to put in more work and time so just over the course of 14 years the administration has become uh, started off freeing me from you know the burdens of having to have another job yeah. but now it's actually burdening me because I had it's my it's my fourth job if you count <laughs> my mother parenthood you yeah know? yeah um, so it's kind of gone like full circle full circle yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's a total love affair. This project is, you know, something mm-hmm. that I'm gonna have a really hard letting uh, time letting go of. If planning. I ever okay. let go of it, <laughs> <laughs> I don't plan on it. Yeah. I don't really know what else to do. It's such a part of my core. Um, but it is, uh, yeah, and the bigger you get, right? So we grew in size in 2008, and I didn't realize how much work it was gonna end up Extra being. Extra work. Yeah. And I sort of, between John and I, I do the bulk of the administration, and mm-hmm. John's more on the sort of the handy... Structural, structural making sure it works. And, yeah, and, like, the big decision-makings. He's, like, a part of the board, but mm-hmm. I'm sort of the, f- the face of the long haul. Mm-hmm. Um, I know everyone's last names and personal histories. I'm, like, <laughs> the, the mama bear. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, there's definitely like a, a 
the administration can become a constraint, especially if you're not trained as an administrator. You know, this is everything I've done. I've learned by mis making mistakes. You know, just fumbling through and. Yeah. Um, and do you have any ideas to, to, to some find a way to alleviate? I don't know if that's the right word. To alleviate the yeah. pressures or the. the so workload? yeah, like I think this year is 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 going to be somewhat cathartic because I I have a Canada Council grant for my artwork. And I need to make space for that for my art practice to be, you know, brought back to life. And as a result, um, I think it's going to be a really crucial moment for the long haul. And we're going to make some changes where the members slash artists um, take on a little bit more responsibility uh, on the not administrative side, but on the responsibility of finding new artists to replace them or on. Um, yeah, there's like a, a list, a variety of things administratively and structurally that, that you are were taking care of that now maybe yeah, they can take care they of. They can take care of or the board will take on a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, maybe I'll pay a little more rent uh, yeah. eventually yeah. so that I can outsource the job to someone else. So to redistribute the responsibility so that it's... Yeah. It makes more sense, so there's less pressure. Yes, that's it. Because I want it to continue to be a positive experience for everyone. Mm -hmm. And if it got to the point where it was like I was starting to get burnt out and yeah. needing to alleviate that pressure through some kind of uh, shifting with, yeah. within the group. I imagine that some of the administrative tasks and responsibilities that go into running a space like this also go into running one's career as an artist or like making your practice move forward mm -hmm. making applications dealing with paying rent that's or, it yeah the little things yeah those little things that add up in mm -hmm. a really big way in the end when you do sit down and count the hours yeah like wow yeah really yeah I had no idea I spent like hundred hours on that, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> don't count the hours, yeah. don't do it, don't do it. Yeah. You've been listening to an Art Talks Montreal conversation with Vanessa Yano of the Long Hall Studios. The opening song, Savoy Blues, was recorded in 1927 by Louis Armstrong and his Hot Five. My Heart is a Real Thing is a track by the Braha Waldman's Quintet from their 2013 album, Cosmic Brahas. You can follow this podcast on Tumblr and iTunes. And if you're feeling chatty or opinionated, drop a line at arttalksmtl at gmail.com. Otherwise, I'll talk to you soon.
Mm-hmm. <laughs>